This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. Linda Cohen here with you. Well, since the 1990s, the medical use of narcotics has multiplied tenfold, with more than 3% of U.S. adults now being maintained on opioid medications for pain. Addiction experts argue that patients with chronic pain have a high propensity for addiction by virtue of also experiencing depression, anxiety, a history of substance abuse, panic attacks, post-traumatic stress, and personality disorders. Once addicted, these chronic pain patients may be quite challenging to detoxify and may require the use of narcotics for years or for life. Here with more on all of this and what can be done to help detoxify these addicted patients is Dr. Brian Johnson, Professor of Psychiatry and Anesthesia and the Director of Addiction Medicine at Upstate Medical University. Welcome, Dr. Johnson. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you so much. So let's first just help me understand from your perspective, how do you see the current state of affairs when it comes to pain treatment in the United States? Why has it become such a problem? Well, there are several issues. One is that there's no evidence about what the best treatment for chronic pain is. So it's been a matter of social movements. Before the 1980s, doctors were careful with opioids. They recognized that addiction is a constant uh, worry. In the 1980s, a group of physicians called the Right to Pain Treatment Physicians began advocating for more opioid use They started to say that physicians were uh, not giving enough opioids, that we had a wonderful drug, opioids of different kinds, that could fix people's pain, and doctors just needed to start prescribing more. This got written into all kinds of regulations, so hospitals are graded about pain relief, and if you don't give opioids, you get bad scores. So, so there was a, the attempt was really a humanistic one initially, but it had unintended consequences. I, I think humanistic, as a psychoanalyst, I would not describe it that way. I would describe it as grandiose, okay. that doctors want to do more than they can actually do. So this grandiosity pervaded the medical profession. Pain services that just give opioids proliferated. Doctors began having instant, fabulous results, and no one really understood opioid-induced hyperalgesia, which means the longer you're on opioids, the more everything hurts, and then you get into a vicious cycle, more pain, more opioids, more pain, more opioids. Then huge numbers of people started to die from accidental overdoses, which had not happened before. So by a few years ago, everyone in the United States recognized that these grandiose doctors had created an epidemic of drug use. So today, explain the relationship between this whole idea of opioids, both the prescribed kind and the street drugs, and why this movement now to heroin, which has become really a major epidemic in this country. Doctors and drug dealers both uh, issue opioids to their patients or customers, and it's a difference of amount. So an average dose of opioids is 60 milligrams of morphine a day. The diacetyl morphine, that's the generic name of heroin brand diacetyl morphine. The usual drug dealer sells about 100 milligrams of diacetyl morphine per bag. It's the equivalent of 300 milligrams of morphine 
Wow. So a regular street habit of 10 bags a day oh my goodness. is the equivalent of 3,000 milligrams of morphine, 60 a day by doctors. So as the opioid-induced hyperalgesia gets stronger, people tend to switch from doctor-level use to dealer-level use. So is it that you become, when you say hyperalgesia, you feel pain more or the pain becomes exacerbated or is it that the the drug no longer, you've become kind of desensitized to the efficacy of the drug? This is a 21st century discovery. This is not tolerance. Pain is required for survival. If you don't feel pain, you have tissue destruction and death. So the response of the brain, the first paper came out in 2001 to blocking the opioid system is an overshoot of pain drivers. And people don't recognize this. Many physicians don't recognize this. So the patient says, doctor, this stuff has stopped working. I need more. Doctors prescribe more. And eventually, they kill some of their patients. So basically, the body's reaction to the use of this is to need more. This is a conceit. This is what I mean about grandiose doctors. You can't shut off the pain system. There's no way to do it. So how do you feel about the ethics then of using these kinds of drugs for pain? Well, I'm very upset because just about any other side effect would result in these drugs being taken off the market. If it raised blood pressure a little and there were more strokes, these drugs would be immediately taken off. There is a odd cultural thing in the United States where when people become addicted, you don't blame the drug, you blame the person. So this like 30% chance of becoming addicted to prescribed opioids, it's accounted for as these are bad people rather than it's a drug that is not right to give long term. So help us understand what happens to these people who are addicted. In, in other words, besides obviously the hyperalgesia, I mean, what does it do is it an overlay on whatever else they may have been experiencing before in terms of the, the social impact on it, the emotional impact on it, um, their functionality? I want to clarify a concept from a 2013 paper about addicted patients versus pain patients. Doctors are terrific at putting people on opioids. They don't seem to know how to get people off opioids. So there's a huge population of these poor people. They stop the drug. They start puking. They're anxious. They're terrified. They go back on the drug. They're marooned on the drug for years. The doctors don't help them. Is this a patient problem or is it a physician problem? Then there's another group that are, are absolutely addicted and do all kinds of horrible things and have those comorbid psychiatric disorders that you described at the beginning. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm Linda Cohen, along with psychiatrist and addiction specialist, Dr. Brian Johnson. We're talking about opioid addiction and potential treatments that could work. So obviously, the key here is helping people detoxify, getting them off these drugs. What kinds of techniques or methods can really work? Okay, so this is a huge problem for the field. And uh, go the governor has uh, got a blue ribbon committee that's gone all over the state, and people are complaining there's not enough maintenance, there's not enough inpatient beds. What we have at Upstate, which is unique in the world, is a neuropsychoanalytic addiction service. 
What that means is we put brain science and psychodynamics together. So we had to come up with, if we're going to take people off opioids, a new way to do it. So the first thing is people have emotional issues that they're pacing over with opioids. We do psychotherapy. People have craving that's induced by the drug and other drugs you use, especially cigarettes. So we tell everyone if you quit cigarettes and opioids, your prognosis is excellent. If you try to stay on inhaling nicotine, your prognosis is terrible, and we get a very high quit rate. And finally, the opioid-induced... Excuse me for interrupting you, but a quit meaning people who quit smoking or quit, quit your program? <laughs> well, no, they quit cigarettes. Oh, good. And third, opioid-induced hyperalgesia doesn't seem to go away on its own. So we've pioneered low-dose naltrexone. It's a pure blocker giving, given in tiny doses, and it brings back the brain's natural... Uh, endogenous morphine pain damping system. Is that something like akin at all to the whole idea of using methadone with people who are it's the addicted? the polar opposite. So uh, the methadone or buprenorphine maintenance approach is you just throw in the towel. This poor person is never going to get off opioids. So doctors should prescribe them. And of course, it's again, it's grandiose and codependent and they end up using your drugs plus lots of other drugs. We really have a drug-free approach that works. Except for this other drug that you're using, at least, is that a short-term? It's a pure blocker, and we use a biological test called the cold presser test, simply a beer cooler full of ice water. We find people are hyperalgesic when they put their forearm in there and they have to pull it right out. It hurts too much. So we use the cold presser time to follow the response to low-dose naltrexone, and we give them the low-dose naltrexone until their pain damping returns to normal. So basically what you're saying is it's a really kind of a multidimensional approach to help people, but you see that as really the answer. I would say holistic. Holistic, okay. So the, the different components are some degree of talk therapy then right. that takes place? Okay, and some degree of medical intervention in the form of this drug that you were talking about? We make about. detox a snap. We do it a way that no one else does it. We give a single dose of long-acting buprenorphine when people come in at the beginning of withdrawal. It takes a week to fade off the opioid receptors. We give some other minor medicines for insomnia, anxiety, gut cramps. And our completion rate is 92%, which is way higher than anywhere else. So this is basically, was this technique evolved, or did it evolve as a result of some study you had done? Or is this something that over time in your own practice, you kind of saw the need for putting all of these elements together? Yeah, so there are two approaches to discovering new things in medicine. One is you do those studies, you have a hypothesis, you get some numbers, you get an answer. What psychoanalysts do, they try one thing, they see how it works, they understand what went wrong, they try something better. So by this point in my career, I've done about 16,000 detoxes. And by iteratively changing things, we've come up with a, a new method that really works. How long does it take from the time a person wants? First of all, this is inpatient? No, there's no. no need for beds or anything like that. So basically someone, just give us a walkthrough. Patient so, A contacts you, they're addicted to opioids. What happens? 
Well, they call my administrator, Jackie Hattersley. She says, you have to bring a support person with you because this is an outpatient detox. They say, I'm sorry, there's no one can come with me. Jackie says, well, there are some other places I can refer you to. And then they go, oh, you know what? My mother can come. They come in with the beginning of their recovery community. Our best support person is an AA sponsor. They give their whole history and they get everything diagnosed in the first visit if they have ADHD, depression, borderline personality. Often people have five diagnoses. If they're in withdrawal, we send them right to our upstate kidney pharmacy. They get their buprenorphine and they take it in front of us until their withdrawal is in remission. They walk out feeling great. They come back every day for a week. They get their psychotherapy every day for a week. They see doctors. We make the changes that are needed because it's not a one-size-fits-all treatment. Once they're through their withdrawal, we see them twice a week until we feel that they are in a process of recovery, all the comorbid disorders, or at least in treatment of one kind or another. The average number of visits is 13, and that's why we can take in so many people. We don't provide endless treatment. If you go on buprenorphine or methadone maintenance, you're expected to be on it 50 years from now. So the bottom line is you have a short, relatively short-term intensive intervention. Yes. Multi, holistic, multi-pronged. And then what has been, you said you had a completion rate of 92%, but what happens to these people, you've been doing this a while, a year from now, two years from now? All right, so I am in the middle of setting a record for the most rejected grant applications. All we have is our <laughs> clinical uh, outcomes where we see people 13 visits, so about a month, and the one-month sober rate is 60%. So basically you're seeing that within a month, for, help me understand that a little better, explain that. So people come in, maybe they have a pain condition, maybe they have an addiction condition. A month later, 60% of them are still off opioids. But beyond the month, do you have any data at We this have point? one study that's out for review, a six-month failed back surgery syndrome and opioid addiction study. 11 out of 30 people, but they had back surgery. They can walk into any doctor and immediately get, get opioids. opioids. Mm -hmm. 11 out of 30 made it six months. Wow. Well, it's incredibly hopeful. It's incredibly positive. And it sounds like it could potentially be a model for programs throughout the country. So I'm going to leave it there, and I'm going to ask you to potentially come back and tell us more about what's happening in this whole world, because it sounds like you're really on to something. My guest has been Dr. Brian Johnson, Professor of Psychiatry and Anesthesia and Director of Addiction Medicine at Upstate Medical University. I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. <laughs>